to look through this uh, wonderful book, reflects back on the Old Testament revelation, and understands its culmination in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews, near the back of your Bibles, when you find it, please stand to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 5 to 9. Context here is that the writer has affirmed that Jesus is far superior to angels. He continues on that thought, having said, Therefore, since Jesus is superior to angels, and since the old covenant was mediated by angelic revelation, since the new covenant has been revealed by Jesus Christ himself, who is superior to angels, all the more seriously then we must take our commitment to the gospel of the new covenant. It continues on in verse 5, chapter 2. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do affirm that you are superior to angels, that you for a time took the form of men, became like one of us, and you are one of us. For a little time, you were in the form that is lower than the angels. But by resurrection from the dead, you have been exalted and your name is above every other name. Your glory is above the glory of the angels. We know that all things will be subjected to your rule and authority. We praise you. Thank you also that you have exalted us to be co-heirs with you and to reign with you over all things. Help us to take this promise very seriously. Take it to heart and may it change the way we live our lives today. Holy Spirit, please move among us. Teach us. Speak through me. Reveal Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Build up this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In philosophy, there's that old nagging question, what's the meaning of life? And that's really what every human being at one time or another has to wrestle with. What is, what is the meaning of life? And if you go to uh, catechism, you might say that it is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I think that's a nice summary of what the meaning of life is. Let us give glory to God through Jesus Christ, revealed by the Holy Spirit, 
And that in so doing, let us be caught up into that glory and enjoy Him forever. Let's just take another pass at this question. How do we do that? How do we glorify God and enjoy Him forever? Ask the question a slightly different way. I think these are all hovering around the same core issue, the same question that that penetrates to the heart of humanity, which is, why were we created? Why am I here? What's my place in this world? And maybe it's in your place of work, in your family, in in this city, in this country, or in the world. What, what am I doing in this world? What is my role in creation? These are, these are questions that sometime, in some way, you'll find yourself asking yourself. And if you don't ask yourself this, perhaps you haven't thought about it that much, somebody's going to demand this of you. They're going to ask you, especially when they know that you are a Christian. The answer is found in our text right here. And we're going to take just a slightly longer detour to get to the answer. I mean, ultimately, it's about the glory of Jesus Christ, crowned with glory above all things, because he tasted death for everyone. But in order to understand really what that means, we have to first understand what was God's intention for creating humanity in the first place. Because Jesus didn't come to start something new. I mean, in a sense, he's making all things new, but he's making all things new upon the original intention of the creator, which we forfeited by our sin. And so when we look here in the in the in the text, we've just been told that Jesus is superior to angels. And then for the first four verses in chapter two, we've been told, therefore, take your faith seriously. Don't be apathetic. Don't allow it to just be one other thing that you content yourself with in life, but let it be the center, the focus, the conviction, the joy, the purpose, the beginning and the end of every day of your life. Because the covenant that by which we have been saved came at a cost to God. It's mediated by a better mediator It's been revealed by a better revealer than the first covenant, all which was mediated from God to humanity through angels. Now, verse 5, transition. It seems like we're, we're going back to talk about Jesus. But in fact, do you know that in verse 5, the context is not first and foremost about Jesus. I mean, we'll see that it is ultimately. But first and foremost, it's about us. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, God did not create this creation, this world, this cosmos, for the angels. The angels are a part of a different created order. And, and so they're, they are... Right now, they have greater proximity to God. They have greater access to God. They can come to and fro from the heavenly throne room to this creation all over. And and in their constitution of what it means to be an angel, they are superior to us. But, and this is the important part, they were never given dominion over this creation. That's what verse 5 is talking about. 
Who did God give this creation to? And we're talking about this world, this solar system, this galaxy, all of the galaxies. This creation, who did he give it to? To Adam and Eve, to us. That, that we are the high point of God's creation. We have been given dominion. In other words, to put it in the words here, the world has been subjected to us. It's exactly what we find out in the, the Psalm 8 that is quoted. He says in verse 6, it has been testified somewhere. And then he quotes from Psalm 8. Now, the writer of Hebrews knew that this was Psalm 8 because he quotes it perfectly from the Greek translation. But throughout the book, he always attributes the Old Testament to God. He never cites the human author. He always cites the divine author, which is informative for us. Just flip back to Psalm 8. In order to understand where we're going today, we have to read Psalm 8. This is a beautiful psalm, and yet it's troubling. It should be troubling to us. Because there's a disconnect. And, and if you don't put your faith in Jesus, I don't know how you could hold to Psalm 8 as sacred scripture. Jesus is required in order to make sense of this psalm. Psalm 8. This psalm is a, a psalm about the glory of God. You could divide the psalm into two parts. The first part says, God, your, your glory, your majesty, it is so evident by the things that you have made. Basically, the, the creation, the universe. And then the second half of the psalm, he says, but superior to the universe is the Son of Man, which is humanity, the Son of Adam, the, the humanity. We are the greatest location of God's manifest glory in this universe. That's what this psalm is trying to say. So let's look at it. Reading first verses 1 to 4. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon... And the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? I know that Jesus called himself the son of man, but that's not the original intention here. And Jesus may have you know, used the son of man because of Daniel 7, but also to just to identify with us. That he was like us. Son of Adam. Fully human. God's glory, we see here, is put on display in creation. The heavens give us some indication of the bigness and the wonder of God. And the more we learn about, about the cosmos, the bigger God has to be. And so science is very theological. Uh, the exploration of outer space, the more, the more we realize, oh my, look at the expanse of outer space. Look at all of these galaxies and these black holes and, and, and the bigness of outer space. And, and you see these pictures of, of, of things that we see on the far reaches that you have to go a hundred light years away or further and further and further. And, and outer space is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And rightly so, we begin to feel smaller and smaller and smaller. 
But what does our understanding of the universe do to our understanding of God? He must be bigger still. This universe is that which he spoke into existence. He holds it in his hand. And he sustains it by the power of his word. And we, we learned two weeks ago that that's the power of Jesus' word. Jesus is sustaining, sustaining all things. And then we see here that it's out of the mouth of babies and infants. What a contrast. Then he asks the question, well, how is that? How, how is your glory put on display in the Milky Way and through the cry of a baby? What is man that you are mindful of him? Let's look at verse 5 through 9. You have made him, meaning humanity, all, all humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings. This is translated in the Greek into angels. Okay. Little lower than the angels. And you've crowned him, that's humanity. This is first and foremost about humanity. You've crowned humanity with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. You've given, in other words, you've given all things to the dominion of humanity. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What we learn from this psalm is that it's humanity and not the Milky Way that is the pinnacle of God's creative genius. Nothing that God has created brings more glory or is intended to, to God than us. And we live in a world that would strongly contest that. You don't get to that conclusion by following an evolution model. But that's what the scriptures say, that we are the pinnacle of God's creative power. We are the means through which God most fully manifests His glory. And then, not even angels, these heavenly beings, can compare with us in the task of glorifying God. We've been made for a little while lower than the angels, but the promise is that we will be crowned with glory and honor above them. It's a beautiful psalm, doesn't it? It's just wonderful. And, and it should not puff us up, but humble us to think that God has created us in such a way. And, and this consequentially gives value to every human life. Every human life, whether in the womb or a hundred years of age, no matter what the, the physical or, or, um, intellectual capacity, every human being has been created by God to display the glory of God in an unrivaled, unmatched way. Now, there's a problem. I hope. Does anyone say, well, well hold on a minute, preacher. This does not compute. 
This does not make sense. This does not explain my reality. This is not what I am living. This is not what I behold. This is not how I feel. This is not, this is clearly not how the intellectuals outside of the church feel. There's a, there is something hollow in the promises here, isn't there? If we're being honest. Let's start with the first part of the problem. Where's the dominion? I Okay, we can say dolphins can't build cities. We can. Great. Is that what we mean by dominion? We just happen to be given fingers and thumbs and dolphins didn't. And by force, we can subdue the animal kingdom. Uh, but have you ever gone interior camping? All of a sudden, the tables have turned. And you're very, very vulnerable. If a bear or a moose or a wolverine or whatever other animal wants to come by, maybe, depending on your resilience, a raccoon comes by. (laughs) Where's the dominion? How many of you, uh, if you were to come face to face with a large animal, let's let's use the lion. It's a great example. King of the beasts. You come face to face with the animal who has dominion in that moment. Do you? What about natural disasters? The, the, The power, the raw power of a storm or of floodwaters or of a hurricane or an earthquake. Where's the dominion? Where's the glory? We're so weak, fragile, vulnerable, susceptible. And and when a rush of water comes at you, you don't have dominion over creation in that moment. At least it doesn't feel like you do. That's the first part. Where's this experiential dominion over God's creation? What about our moral failures? Does your life, if, if we could expose all of your life, really glorify God? Mine doesn't. I mean, God's mercy is so wonderful that He uses our meager offerings and He does glorify Himself through it. But, I mean, we're already on the other side. We're filtering through gospel, right? We're understanding something. We've already imposed Christ there. Just take that out of out of the equation for a moment. Right now, like is humanity over the face of the earth bringing glory to God? What about death? If we are so great, if we are to be crowned with glory and honor above the angels, why do we all die? Death wins one hundred percent. Of the time. So you might want to say that death has been crowned with glory and honor, right? Maybe, maybe death is greater than the Milky Way because even those stars, one by one, will go out if the universe were to last that long. So is death king? Thus, it hardly seems accurate to say that we are crowned with glory and honor or that we are the centerpiece of God's creative work. Therefore, is what, what do we do with this psalm? Is this a lie? Has God lied to us? 
How can we affirm that this is the inerrant Word of God? I think this is a great place. If you have any Jewish friends or you have an opportunity to ever preach the Gospel to them, why don't you just go here and, and just begin there? Just... Ask them, say, look, we agree that this is God's Word. So explain Psalm 8 to me. Because without Jesus, like Psalm 8 just doesn't make sense. The writer of Hebrews, he's wrestling with this very same question. Going back to Hebrews. And he applies it to us. Right? So he's saying, look, it wasn't to angels that God subjected the world to come. It was to humanity. But then he, and then he quotes Psalm 8. Now, here he says, now putting everything in subjection to him, we're in the second part of verse 8, he left nothing outside, his outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, verse 8, to that point, I am not entirely sure if the writer of Hebrews is writing about humanity or about Jesus. And in a sense, I think you can't separate the two. But let's just start by, by interpreting this, that he is writing this about humanity. And I really believe that that's probably where he started. Then in verse 9, he transitions to Jesus. Remember the context. Take seriously your faith. Because remember, this is supposed to be true of you. Psalm 8. So he says, look, I want you to remember that everything has been given to us. Everything's been put in subjection under our feet. Nothing is to be outside of our control. And he's using his there because that's what Psalm 8 does. Son of man is using the, the pronoun him, his. But in Psalm 8, it's undisputed. That's about humanity. Originally. So I'd say that this is still about humanity. And he says, but then he, he, he identifies the problem. At present, let's be honest, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That is to us, to the Son of Man. He's identifying the problem. Psalm 8 just doesn't fit. Now, he transitions to Jesus. But, that's the beginning of, of verse 9, right? But, look at Jesus. Psalm 8, ringing hollow for us. But look to Jesus. We see Him, who is one of us. Who? For a little while was made lower than the angels. Now, who am I talking about? Namely, Jesus. And now He is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. The writer of Hebrews identifies the problem. Psalm 8 is supposed to be true of us, but it's not. But look to Jesus. It is true of Him. And He's one of us. following let's just go through this for a minute it says that he was created so if we apply uh psalm 8 to him he was created a little lower than the angels is that true of jesus 
I mean, we just spent a whole week talking about how Jesus is superior to angels. Is Jesus for a little while made lower than the angels? In form, yes. That, that's, that's part of the, the sacrifice of the incarnation. That when Jesus descended from His eternal place of glory in heaven and He descended and He became a man, He took on in form and in constitution. I use that because I think it's a great word to talk about what it means to be something. The constitution of humanity. He took that on. A human body, a human mind, a human soul, human emotions. Everything that makes you and me human, Jesus took on. And in so doing, for a little while, in form, He became a little less than the angels. Now, just don't forget what happened on the day that Jesus was born. God the Father commanded the angels, you get down there and you sing His praises. So... In his personhood, he retains his superiority over angels. But for a time, he came in the form of sinful flesh. I think that's Romans 7. So if if he came for a time in the form of sinful flesh, we're not saying he became sinful, but he took on our constitution so for a little while that's the incarnation so so he is a human he is a member of the human race as much as he is fully god he's a representative then for us and as a son of man which he attributed to himself meaning he's one of us fully swami becomes true he's crowned with glory and honor this is a reference to his crucifixion his resurrection at his ascension, we read Psalm 2, or uh, Aaron did to start us off. Perfect juxtaposition with what we're talking about here. Though that he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be held on to, but he took the form of a slave and he became one of us. Right? He did not count equality with God as something to rest, but he took the form of a servant. And as a servant, he was obedient to the will of God even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Therefore, what? God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Psalm 8 is true. Philippians 2 proves that Psalm 8 is true. But here's the thing. As of right now, it is only true of one man, which is Jesus Christ. But are you ready for the implications of this? That He suffered death and by the grace of God, He tasted death for everyone. Jesus tasted death on behalf of the Son of Man, which is humanity. He tasted death as, a, as an acceptable representative of the human race so that He stood in for us as our substitute so that Psalm 8 might be true of us. So how does Psalm 8 become true of us? We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And now let's just go through it again. We are created. A little lower than the angels. But to 
which angel did God ever say, I have made this creation for you? Have dominion over this creation. It is subjected to you. I put it under your feet. That's what he said to Adam, right? And so it was supposed to be true of us. Now we forfeited that dominion when we sinned. But what Jesus does by coming to the cross, he came to give it back to us. So that we would once again have dominion. So that he would, though we are now lower than the angels, we will be elevated above the angels. And that has two parts. One, we will uh, return to our dominion over this created order, of which we always were superior to angels within this created order. They're of a different created order. But secondly, and I want you to think about this for a moment. When, when Lucifer sinned, and when, when some one-third, I don't know if that's really accurate or technical term, but when some angels rebelled with Satan, where's their redemption? If an angel sins, that angel is lost forever. There's no redemption for angels. Why? Because God did not become an angel. Of everything that God has ever made, including the angels, including uh, other created orders, God became a man. Who can, which angel can say that? that? That the God of the universe became an angel? No. Because if God had become an angel, He would have done it to save angels. But God became a man to save us. And in so doing, by virtue of Christ's descension into humanity, to, be, to become a partaker of what it means to be a human being, He takes humanity and He says, I want to place you above everything and everyone else to be co-heirs with Christ, to be co Kings with Christ. Which angel can say that? Do you see the depth of the gospel of what God has done for us? That we will be crowned with glory and honor. That we will share in the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. I said that very carefully. I did not say that we will have equal glory and honor as Jesus has. But, and this is just so amazing to me, is that Jesus says, I am the supreme one of all reality. Come up onto my throne and share that with me. What do you do with that? So how does this change the way you wake up every morning? What challenges are you facing today? You have challenges? How does what we've just shared change your perspective on your suffering today? You're going to have absolute dominion over everything that God has created.
compare that with what you're going through today. Angels will bow to you. And you won't be puffed up in that moment. You will be merciful and gracious and you'll be perfected and glorified. So you're not going to hold that over the angels. But just, it's a staggering promise. So can you endure a little longer now? Can you deny yourself now for the sake of the gospel? Or do you need to have it all now? Can you sacrifice your wants and your desires in order to serve Christ? Can you make uh, your conformity to the gospel, your commitment to Jesus Christ, your participation in the church, can you make that more important than anything else in your life? Because I'm telling you, God has much in store for you and Jesus Himself to whom much is given, much is required. What are you giving to God? Could you give some more? And those who are faithful with a a little thing will be entrusted with greater things. You have to also remember that we're going to live in a kingdom. And and kingdoms are necessarily hierarchical. And it it is kind of interesting to me that we live in a democracy. But when we think of heaven, we think of communism. So it's it's funny to me because you have have the hierarchy of a kingdom. Then you have democracy. Then you have communism. And we slide down to communism rather than exalting ourselves up to the concept of a kingdom where Christ is king and then he distributes his saints in a hierarchical fashion over all of reality. And what we do in this life, if we are faithful with a few things, that will impact where he places us in the age to come. Because it's hierarchical. Now, if, you're the, if you are the last, if you are the bottom person... In this hierarchy, oh, the glory of that position, okay? The glory of that position. But just think for a moment eternally about what God has set up and our role in that economy, in that kingdom, and let that translate to your life now. And then you tell me that that some television show really is that important. Or, or that some promotion at work is really that important. Or that any relationship outside of the church is really that important. You see what I'm trying to do here? I'm just trying to, to adjust our perspective, to see life as it really is and not how, how we think it is. And it's still true that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Husbands, what you do in your marriage and with your children is more important eternally than your career. And 
if you can see that your primary role as a man is to manifest the gospel in your family and to take leadership over that, then you are doing more than if you become the CEO of a big company. See, it, the, this forces a difference in our perspective. So, so husbands, can you sacrifice everything else for the sake of your family? Can that be first? Wives, can you submit to your husband as to the Lord? Because the way you interact with your husband is a demonstration of your submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and He takes notice. All of us, can we mortify the secret sins that continually tempt us? Here's the thing. You know why we keep sinning? Because we want to keep on sinning. Because we don't have the right perspective. Sin is a short-term temporary gratification that undermines the eternal, lasting glory and satisfaction in Christ. And when you're looking upon the face of Christ and thinking about eternal things and, and trying to line your life up with eternal matters, it becomes much more difficult to sin. Will you sin? Yes, you'll still sin. But what about those nagging secret sins that never stop? I, I would consider you haven't, you haven't thought deeply enough about the gospel. Can, can we throw off the worldliness that comforts us? We're piping the world into our homes at an astronomical rate. Just like huge input. Why? Because it's comfortable. Feels good. Feels normal. Natural. But the has nothing to do with where we're going. What a waste. And, you know, I'm speaking to myself. It's very, very difficult to do this. And the only way to do it is to keep Psalm 8 and, and its fulfillment in Christ and therefore through Christ to you at the forefront of your mind. Just close with this last question. Since God has given all eternity to us, since He will exalt us with Christ above the angels and over every other created thing, since He is sharing His reign over reality with us, can we live today for Him just a little bit more than yesterday? And if you live for Christ a little bit more every day, just, just a little bit, if the Lord gives you life for years to come, you won't recognize yourself in years gone by. Keep the gospel as the governance of your thinking and your acting. Glorify Christ. Let's pray.